So in the last few days, I've been uh, asked several times about uh, the guru and what is the guru and how do I find a guru? And um, so this question has been coming up all of a sudden. So I thought we'd take some time in this meeting to begin with to uh, address the idea, what is a guru and, and how do we find a guru if we don't have one? So the word guru, um, one definition of it is the dispeller of darkness. So this is the, when we bring, uh, in order to remove the darkness, we just bring the light. And when the light comes in, the darkness goes away. So, um, so the guru is the dispeller of darkness. That is the individual that brings us the information and the inspiration and the example that can help remove the obstacles, the places where we're stuck, where we're hung up, and help direct us. The other more literal definition of guru is heavy. Guru means heavy. So a guru is the heavy, the grounding, the aspect that helps us to get centered and grounded on the earth, in this planet, in practical ways on this plane. Because the tendency has always been, but more now than, than ever in, in history, the tendency is for vata, the air element, which is responsible for the mind and for thoughts and for interaction and for, and is also related to sensory input, overload. All this contributes to vata, aggravates vata, elevates vata. And it creates more and more of this airy uh, ideation, thoughts, imagination, fantasy. All this stuff is coming and we have this constant internal dialogue. And the tendency is if we're not grounded, if we don't have some grounding and some anchoring literally in the earth and literally in very practical ways, that the tendency is to get a little spacey and to be unrealistic and to live in fantasy. And then the astrologers tell us, the, the Vedic astrologers tell us that we're really very strongly under the influence of Rahu. And Rahu is the head, the, the, uh, the head without a body. So Rahu is also contributing to this tendency to be spacey and to be uh, overly analytical, judgmental, constantly thinking, trying to figure. So all this is going on, and this uh, this tendency is to be very aggravated. And nowadays we have even more because we're exposed to all this media, these tablets, the computers. There's constantly this input of data, information, constant flow, and so we're really kind of overloaded with this. And so. So it's important for us to be grounded. And if we think back, if we look to what uh, what our many of us have a uh, uh, relationship with or have had a relationship with Mr. Davis as a guru, and we will remember that he was very practical, very pragmatic. He would say, you know, pay your bills and write your will. Take care of the very practical things because you have to have this grounding. You have to be living practically and engaging 
practically with the world around you, with the environment and the individuals. Take care of all these basics and be grounded. Be grounded. So, so the guru, um, guru means teacher. The literal translation for guru is a teacher. And the disciple is the learner. This comes from the Latin word. Um, it means to learn, to study, to be a student. And uh, up until the last century, um, the very common way for an individual to learn a trade or to become a master of almost anything was to go into an apprenticeship program. And so we would go find uh, the blacksmith and go work with the blacksmith and watch what the blacksmith did and clean up the stables. And through the process of observation, we would learn, we would see, and we would also be in the environment and be with the individual. So we'd, we'd learn from their example personally. And so this was a very traditional way of learning a trade or a craft. Um, back when I was working full-time as an illustrator, as an artist, painting, uh, making paintings for book covers and magazines. Um, we would encourage new artists, people who, who were up and coming that wanted to learn the craft, um, to find a mentor, to find someone who they really resonated with. It's like the style and the feeling of this artist. And then go to that person and offer to sweep the floor in their studio, change the water, clean the brushes, anything you can do to be in the environment, to be seeing and observing exactly how they do what they do. See, because it's one thing to read about these things and to have an intellectual understanding. But when we come into personal relationship, there's a lot of communication that's nonverbal and we pick up a tremendous amount. So, so classically, in the guru-disciple relationship, the guru, the, the disciple would come and they would ask the guru, they'd say, please, will you teach me? Will you accept me as a student? And of course, many of the gurus, um, especially the really authentic ones, would go, no way, you know, I'm busy. Go away, you bother me. And, and the student would come back, no, no, please, this is important. And, and the, one, the student that would camp out on the front doorstep and would not take no for an answer and was complete, was back in, their, in the guru's face again and again and again, finally, finally they would relent and go, okay, you know, I'll, I'll help you a little bit. So, so in this way, the student really was motivated. The student was really like, I really want this. This is not just some, you know, extra little, uh, uh, extra little bit of work, but it's, this is actually important to me. And so they would have to demonstrate that they were really serious about this before the guru would take the time to work with them. So, and of course, always, uh, again, authentic, an authentic guru will always remind the student that, that, that I'm not really the guru. God is the guru. Life is the guru. There is a, constant uh opportunity for you to learn and to grow and to just be paying attention to what's happening and so through this process you can experience your own awakening so and mr davis would remind us that um that is true however 
um, these days it can be very useful to have an actual person, an actual individual that we can relate to. Somebody that we can, when we have a challenge, when we have a problem, that we can actually say, well, what do you think? You know, what, what what's your take on this? Or um, I'm practicing in this way and this is my experience and, you know, can you give me some input, some feedback that will help me and give me some direction? And so, so and Roy would tell us, you know, uh, there are many, many individuals who claim to have a guru-disciple relationship with individuals that they've never even met. Um, you know, many disciples of Yogananda, for example, are, they are disciples. This is my guru. And he said, and, you know, how can that be? They never actually had a conversation. They never met him. They never interacted with him. And, of course, we can have a resonance. We can feel an attunement with saints um, living or those who have passed. But to have this actual guru-disciple relationship is kind of a personal interaction. And so, uh, and so we can, and there are, and these days now, of course, we have, um, you know, a big telephone book full of gurus that are out there available for us to connect up with. Um, there's, I, 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 I wouldn't even hesitate to guess how many hundreds there are on YouTube that are all offering their insight and their wisdom and encouraging their disciples, their students to come and participate and, of course, to contribute. Um, you know, many, many of uh, what are what the individuals who are doing good work, I mean, many of them are really helping people and they're giving them good information and helping get their lives together. And so that's all good. But, um, but also many of them have... Uh, a lot of money associated with what they're doing. So you can sign up for my class. You can make a, uh, you know, for this amount of money, then you can participate in this group and this group. And after you've got to this level, then you graduate and then you can pay some more money to get to the next level. And so we have this progressive process where um, the guru is, is making a living, is making money off of the disciples. And this is really not in harmony with the, with the traditional guru-disciple relationship. So again, traditionally in the old days, the guru, the, the disciple would come and kind of demand, eventually just just break down the, the, the doors until the guru would agree. And then when they were accepted as a disciple, they would come and live with the guru and they would sweep the floor, take out the trash, dig the ditches, Whatever needed to be done, they would just do this as service in order to be close to the guru, in order to be able to observe by experience and also to be in close to the consciousness, the, you know, the consciousness, the awareness of an individual who is tuned in, who is who's tuned into ultimate reality and grounded so that they are they're they're living in this awareness and to be in their space, to be around them. There is a there is an energy, there is a connection we feel. And so to be in that energy field, to be in that consciousness, and to be observing and looking at the example, and to have the instruction, all of this was traditionally um, what happened in this guru-disciple relationship. And the disciple would stay with the guru for 10 to 12 years to be able to get 
their 10,000 hours of, of you know, experience and to have a real grounding and a real awareness, a real understanding of the principles and the life. So, you know, it's one thing to, to touch in and talk to somebody and listen to somebody for an hour or two hours, um, or even to come to retreats. You know, we've come to retreats with Mr. Davis and be with him for a couple hours every day for a week. And, and of course, to be in that consciousness and to be sharing with him, it's remarkable, remarkable. But it's also, um, it also falls far short of what happens when you do this week after week and you come back year after year and after five years or 10 years of attending retreats and being in conversation and having that relationship, there's some very powerful transformation that takes place. So the transformation begins a little bit. I mean, we, we, when we first tune in, we feel, wow, there's really something here. And we begin to notice improvement in our life. And then as we stay with the process, over time, we find major transformation. So Roy used to say um, that someone asked Yogananda, what did Sri Yukteswar, what did your guru do for you? And Yogananda said, he made me what I am made me what I am. There was this transformational process that took place over time. So you can't just flip a switch. This takes time and working and um, resonating, being in, in attunement. And over time, the disciple begins to become aware of the places where that need to be fixed, of the places where they get stuck um, and uh, are able to make uh, make the changes that they need in order to wake up more fully. And when we talk about waking up more fully, it's not just this, it's waking up to the, to the relationship we have with everything. So to be grounded, to be practical, to be using our discernment and our discrimination to make good choices, wise choices. These things all come as a result of our interaction and our training and our mentoring with a guru so so this can be very useful very useful and roy would tell us that there are um, we can think of gurus that come in three different types and the first one is called the reminder and that is the teacher the individual who helps to remind us of what we are to help kind of put us on the track so so we have the uh, the reminder that kind of gets us going and can inspire us and motivate us to start moving in the right direction and then the second is the awakener and so the awakener now has has an attunement with ultimate reality has a, has the consciousness and the connection and by interacting and relating with the disciple the disciple begins to really awaken really begins to get the sense get the experience of what am i you see, so we move from just having a direction on a path to actually being kind of uh, assisted in consciousness and directed to a more deeper level. And then the third type of guru, he said, was the liberator. That is the one who can assist in bringing us all the way fully into liberation of consciousness, the full awareness of our true nature uh, so that we can live freely and wisely and interact harmoniously with life on all levels. So these are the three levels. And 
he also told us that you don't have to be that that a guru doesn't have to be completely fully illumined have be a saint be a total enlightened being in order to assist others so because a guru is a teacher um, we can have a guru that is our guitar guru to learn to play the guitar and we have a teacher that that, that works with us in that form we can have a a mathematic guru and they and they refer to this in india in that culture you know they have many gurus that are responsible for different different areas different aspects um and so the guru that leads us to awareness to full awareness is a sad guru sad guru this is sad's truth so the guru that leads us and in in, in, in uh, and motivates us and sets the example to come into full awareness to truth is the Satguru. So short of that, though, um, we have individuals who can help and assist others as they come along. So may not be completely fully enlightened, but they may have enough information and they may have enough consciousness to be able to direct some individuals to go in the right direction and to, to, to make the right choices. So when I began my path, I was um, 23 years old in 1970, and uh, I met this quite amazing individual named Arlie Gaines. And Arlie uh, uh, was a, a technical writer at the company that I worked for, and I had just taken over as the photographer. And Arlie came into my photographic studio and asked for asked if I would take a portrait of him and and i said sure i was just trying to learn how to do what i had been hired to do so i take any picture that came along and uh so in the in the process he told me that the portrait that he wanted of himself was for a meditation class it didn't have anything to do with our company <laughs> but i said sure you know and in the process we had uh I, I had asked him well what is meditation what is this that you're doing and that you're teaching and so he told me in brief terms and then invited me to his uh, meditation and study group. So he had a weekly study group and Arlie Gaines was Roy Eugene Davis's representative in San Jose out in California. And so, so I met Arlie. He began to explain to me what meditation was. He gave me Mr. Davis's books, a couple of his books. And I began to uh, attend this weekly meeting to meditate. And because we worked at the same company, Arlie and I would meet every day for lunch. And so we would sit down for lunch and have and meditate. So we had a 30-minute lunch. We would meditate for 20 minutes and then and then gobble down the, the sandwich or whatever we had. And so every single day, rain or shine, we met. If it was raining, we would sit in the car. And if it was shining, uh, there was a park across from our uh, from the big plant and we would go behind there was a little uh, community building there and we would go behind the community building and sit out on the grass and meditate and and so in this way i was i began my education because we had a great opportunity a lot of opportunity to talk and so i got and, and arlie was a natural talker he was a storyteller leodi knows this <laughs> And 
And so, uh, you know, we could ask, I could ask him a question and then just sit back for a half an hour. He would go on about this and that and, you know, the philosophy and stories. And it was quite engaging and also quite informative. So I learned um, through our interaction together, through long conversations about uh, understanding, you know, some of these philosophical principles and getting a real grounding in yoga and some of these things. So I spent a lot of time with, with Arlie and he really was kind of, you know, my entry to this and my beginning guru. And then, and this was in the, in the 1970, the fall of 1970. And then uh, 1971 was the first time when uh, Roy made a trip out to California and I had a chance to meet him in person. So I'd written him a couple of letters and told him how wonderful he was, which he already knew. Um, and uh, and how uh, dedicated I was on the path, you know, because I'd been meditating with Arlie for three months now. And so I was obviously, you know, ready for discipleship. Uh, and then, and then, so he came uh, in the spring and uh, to San Francisco was his first trip, his first uh, venue, his first lecture. And in those days he would come to uh, the Bay Area twice a year. So we would come in the spring and in the fall. And there was quite a quite a good group, good following uh, around the Bay Area and down in San Jose. So he, it was worth his time to make two trips there each year. And so he began in San Francisco at the Met, upstairs at the Metaphysical Bookstore in their meeting room. And and then worked his way over to Oakland and then down to San Jose. And so he had several several speaking venues during uh, the few days that he was there. So I went with Arlie to, uh, to attend the meeting in San Francisco. And so we, you know, we were there and the, of course the bookstore was taking care of selling books and all the support stuff. So we just had to show up for this one. And so Arlie and I sat in the back of the room and listened to Roy and I was dazzled and, you know, and of course I was already really in awe of this person. And so afterwards, um, Arlie introduced me to Roy. He came out and of course he's, you know, six foot two and, and, uh, I'm not, so I'm looking up and, and, uh, he's quite a, you know, powerful figure there. And he just got finished with this talk and everybody's loving him. And they're all circling around trying to, you know, shake his hand and get his autograph. And so Arlie introduces me. And, and of course I'm thinking, well, I've been writing to him and he knows who I am. And so I, and, and you have that sort of, that little glimmer inside that says, Oh, my son, finally, you know, we meet in person. What a wonderful opportunity. And, uh, it didn't happen like that. He turned to me and he said, Arlie introduced me. This is Ron. And he said, oh, hi, I'm glad to meet you and shook my hand. And then immediately was off to the person that wanted to get their book signed. And, and I thought, wow, OK. So. Um, so there was no uh, no boosting the ego there. And then uh, and then I think we went over to Oakland on the next day. And then he came down to San Jose and had a couple of days there for a a seminar at the Los Gatos Lodge, where he would, um, where we normally had meetings, uh, occasionally others, and then he talked at the Unity Church in San Jose. And so Arlie and I were there, and of course Arlie, as his representative, uh, had a stock of books and and would set up the book table and take care of the 
you know, all the arrangements and, and then selling the books and manning that. So because I was right there with Arlie and we'd spent so much time together, I was right there from the beginning selling books and taking care of, you know, helping to support Roy and whatever he needed. And so, so very quickly we got to know each other and we, you know, we, we, uh, began this relationship and uh and on that first trip i asked him would would it be possible for him to be my guru as much as i could understand what that meant at the time um and and he thought for a moment he says he says yes yes i'll i'll play that role for you this was his was his response so um so we began that relationship and of course uh uh, over the years, it, it matured, and we continued to be in touch regularly. Uh, when Arlie was transferred uh, in 1974, I think it was Arlie was transferred um, with our company out of out of the country. And so, at that point, um, I had been teaching meditation classes and speaking for groups. Arlie was also a little bit of a like a drill instructor. Um, he would take any individual that looked like they had, you know, that were halfway bright and halfway interested. And he would say, you know, we need more meditation teachers. You need to go out and start teaching. I'll set you up with some group, with some speaking arrangements. And, and, uh, and I thought, I can't do that. I can't speak and speak in front of people. There's no way. I mean, I was very, I'm a very, you know, kind of a private person and, and, uh, certainly not standing up in front of a group and speaking if I, I mean, just the thought of it, I would get clammy hands, cold sweat, you know, and, uh, and the thought of trying to stand up in front of five or six people even and, and, and deliver a talk, it was just no way. But, but Arlie kept saying, no, we, you need to do this. You can do this. And, uh, and it's important. And so I decided, all right, I'm, I'm not going to be limited. So I went to uh, night school and took a class in public speaking. And I think it was like the third week, the third class that I took in night school. And uh, the teacher made said a couple of things that just clicked, just made sense. And, of course, we had practice. You know, we had to get up in front of the class and do little three-minute talks. Um, but in the process, I got – I understood – and it, well, I wasn't very good at it, but I understood the principle and I was able to do that. So so I started in 1972 um, going out and speaking for uh, churches and groups. And, and Arlie would set me up with, you know, the Seventh Street Spiritualist Church, where um, where people were telling me afterward, oh, what a wonderful talk. And did you know, did you see your angels, your guardian angels on either side? There was this one and this one and, you know, spirits hovering. And, and I would think, okay. <laughs> um, and so, so we did that. And then Arlie was transferred in 1974. And so I, I took over the group. And so we started to meet at my house. Um, and so we continued every week, continued our, our weekly group, um, unless it was it happened that Christmas fell on that day or something. Uh, otherwise, every single week we were there regularly for several more years. And then in 19, end of 1977, 
I picked Roy up from the airport because I was taking, you know, doing kind of the, the groundwork then and taking care of the books and, and, uh, and we had, and Arlie had helped develop something called the California inner circle. And so the California inner circle, which consisted of, uh, my sister Leodi here and, um, uh, and several other individuals were all kind of the support group, the team that was, um, helping, helping Roy when he would come to town. So I had picked him up at the airport and on the way back from the airport coming home, go, going to San Jose, uh, we were talking and I had told him that I felt it was time for me to, to change my profession, my job. I had learned everything I could learn and I was, you know, at the top of my game and everybody loved me and it was a perfect time to walk out the door with no regrets and to move on to whatever was next. And so I mentioned that I was going to do that the following year. And he invite, he said, well, why don't you come back and work with me? So, so he invited me to come back and work uh, at CSA, CS, the, the retreat center, uh, as it is now, had just opened the year before. And so I mean, actually that year in 77. Um, and so, uh, so I, in, in the beginning, I had no idea, you know, how I could make that work because I had a life. You know, I had the, a, a wife and a dog and a house and two motorcycles and a car. And um, and so to kind of unwind all that and, and just move across country and go to work with CSA was kind of an interesting challenge. But it was, you know, it worked. Uh, the way was made clear. Grace comes to support us and all these things. And so so I was able to come and, and then. Um, and in those days, we actually had a, a few of us that were living on the property. So I lived at CSA on the property uh, for about five years. And every morning had an opportunity to sit down with Roy. We would meet in the morning in his office, which is now the bookstore, and sit down and talk, just talk about things and also about the, the ministry and the business and what we were doing. And so I was very blessed to have this closer and closer very intimate relationship and to be able to observe how he thought and what he did and how he interacted with other individuals and so this, this was quite a blessing and so i can also say that uh, in response to the question um, what did he do for me is everything my life is completely it was completely different i was going one direction and I, had, I wasn't looking for anything. I had no challenges. I wasn't suffering any more than anybody else does, you know, in life. And this came along out of the blue, literally, and changed my life, changed my direction. And as it changed, it just changed and changed until, until this became my life, this became, you know, my, uh, my focus, my discipline. And along the way, along the course, I've had opportunities to do many things. I've, you know, I've, I've been blessed as a compulsively creative person, which is a cursing and a bless, um, blessing, curse and a blessing, because um, uh, it makes for very interesting and uncertain uh, life. You know, when you're self-employed and you always are looking for the next, uh, you know, the next commission, the next job, the next thing to be able to pay the bills, um, you get to. You have it, it really creates an opportunity to understand grace and to understand 
that the universe really is supportive and it really does take care of us and that things really do work out. Um, so I've had been blessed with the, uh, the opportunity to have the experience, direct experience of that. And always when things would get too wobbly and when things were, when I really was, you know, a little uncertain about the uncertainty, uh, I could always uh, go back and check in with Roy and get a little grounding. And it was, it, it used to amuse me. I would observe this and that was, that when Roy would come to town, I would I would have a lot more time, personal time with him than most people, and I never had any questions. I just I mean I didn't have questions about the philosophy and all this. I understood what he was saying when he what, what he wrote. I understood what he said when he was in the lectures. I mean I got that. So the only time I had really had questions were, you know, it was more practical, mundane stuff. It was the grounding stuff. It was, you know, this relationship. How do I, how do I deal with this individual or this person? How do I deal with the, you know, this situation with finances or very practical things? And and this was 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 more the level that we interacted on rather than you know deep philosophical conversations that I used to have with Arlie. Or we'd sit up at all half the night for two hours talking about, you know, something from this is reality. Uh, Roy and I never did that. Roy and I would just talk about practical stuff. And as the years went by, uh, when I came back to work full time at CSA back in 2004, I think. Um, and once again, I would see Roy every day, but. Uh, but we weren't meeting and having long conversations. He would come in when he needed pictures. He would come to me and we would sit down at my computer and look through the, look through the files and find the picture that he needed for the truth journal or find the, something for this or talk about designing a, a CD label or something. Very practical. And then from time to time, every few weeks, um, I would go sit down with him up in his chalet and we'd spend an hour talking and not talking about my problems. I mean, he would ask me what I was doing, of course, but mostly that would be at the end of the conversation. Most of the conversation, we would sit there and he would just talk about what this person was doing or what he remembered about, you know, some of the the great um, the great saints and the spiritual uh, friends that he had had in the past, and and this situation and that situation. And so my my training, my personal teaching and training from him came as a result of the stories that he was telling about his interactions with other people. It was kind of like stealth teaching. He was, you know, I was, my job was to pay attention to this and to, to see what clues were being left for me along the way. Um, and at the end of our conversation, and it was always like almost an hour, he had, he had this timer in his head that when it got to be 59 minutes he was starting to think okay it's time to end the meeting you know and so but he would be talking to me and of course to, just to be in his presence and to be um, sitting there and the, his consciousness was so um, so rich and, and and juicy you know that was enough and we didn't even have to talk but um, but as the, as we would be getting close to the end and I would think you know we haven't even talked about what I'm doing. I, I mean, I sometimes I come just to ask him what he wants me to do next because because I don't have um, I don't have a uh, like a direction. There's the things that I do. Most of the things that I do or that I have done in CSA 
um, kind of I invented. I said, welcome, you know, this would be useful. What do you think? And Roy would go, yeah, that's good. Do it. And then I would come along and I'd say, well, okay, we have a website. Maybe we could add, you know, some free books or free literature on this. Oh, that's a great idea. Go ahead and do it. And so, so I was kind of self-directed and every once in a while I would just want to talk to him and go, you know, tell him this is what I'm doing. And do, you, do you have any, any guidance, any clues or any, any uh, guidelines or something for what you would like to have done? So, so we worked in a very, you know, in this very harmonious way and a very uh, gentle way. He was always uh, very humble and very appropriate and never condescending, never like I'm the teacher and you're the student. It was all more of a friend. See? So, and this is, this is the ideal for us is to have a guru, a teacher, a mentor who is a spiritual friend, someone who has the connection to be able to help us and give us guidance when we need it. And someone who can, who can help uh, set a good example for us because we all need it. And someone who's sharing in consciousness that we can tune in with. So, so to have an attunement, that is to be able to feel ourselves resonating, you know, at, the, at this deeper level with this individual, with this guru, um, is where a great deal of this transform, uh, transformative effect takes place. So it's not verbal and it's not through direct instruction, but it's through a more subtle attunement. So, so having said all that, the question then comes up. So this is what a guru can do for us. And if we don't have a guru, if we don't have that personal relationship. We don't have that connection. And we, we feel like this would be useful to us. Um, there is an old saying, and that is that when the student is ready, the the guru, the teacher, will appear. And so, and so, uh, so the thing to do if we are looking for a connection for a guru is number one is to prepare ourselves to be a good student, to be a good disciple, to become as grounded as we can, to be you know as mindful and conscious, and to be living in harmony with what we know to be the principles. And then second, to acknowledge, to be reminded that even if we have this individual, like I have with Roy, have this individual to know that it is, it is God coming through. The real guru is God within. And remembering that the real guru is God within on one level helps because every individual, every person that we talk to has a personality. You have to have, have, to have a personality to be playing your role and to be dancing around on the planet. And so, and so Roy had his, you know, you know, he had his preferences and he had opinions about some things. And, and, you know, some of the, he, he can be a little judgmental, a little critical of some individuals or some circumstances and things. And in that role, this was the personality. This was the, the person Roy, my friend, but when it came to answering questions with respect to the truth, to direction in life, to understanding principles, and to resonating with this consciousness, this is the guru. See, this is God coming through. So, so Roy had this, this ability. He was a, a master of allowing this 
this God, allowing God to come through him without any filtering, without any uh, ego or without anything in between, not asking for anything, not expecting anything, but to just be open to that contact, to that flow. And so we can be reminded that the guru is God. Um, whether we have a personality, a form to be able to interact with, which can be helpful, or whether we just recognize that this process is continually going on all the time. Life is constantly inviting us to wake up, inviting us to our intuition and inspiration, inviting us to move in the right direction, to avoid the things that are not useful, to engage in the things that are useful. This is constantly, this teaching is constantly coming. There's this uh, this Sanskrit prayer, um, Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, Guru Devo Mahaishvara, Guru Sakshat, Param Brahma, Tashmai Shri Guru Ve Namaha. So I bow to, I respect, I honor the Guru as Brahma. Brahma is existence, is is ultimate reality. So ultimate reality is the teacher, is the guru. Guru Vishnu. Vishnu is the preserver, is that which um, maintains the harmony and balance and is also in this term is our life. So everything that we're doing in our life, everything that we experience is our guru. It's an opportunity for us to learn, to wake up. And Guru, uh, guru Devo Mahaishvara, Mahaishvara is Shiva, is the destroyer or the transformer. And so the changes that we go through, the, the places where we meet up against obstacles, where we overcome things, where we move around and, and wake up, these challenges are our guru, are our teacher. And then Guru Sakshat Param Brahma, guru is everything, everywhere. And to this we bow. To this we, we honor. And so, so if we don't have uh, this personal relationship with a guru and, um, and if one is not immediately uh, available for us, then we can relate to the guru through God, through this uh, higher power, this higher reality. And if it's necessary for us, if it's part of our karma, if it's, if it's useful, the universe will then provide us with an individual that we can interact with and have a personal relationship with. It is not required that we have this guru in order to be enlightened because there are many, many people on the planet who have become enlightened that don't even know about Sanskrit, that don't know about gurus, that don't know about this relationship, that wake up because because what's happening is this God within us, this ultimate reality, which is in everybody, even people who don't know about it, it's still there and there's still an impulse within to be awake. And so that impulse to be awake acts in whatever way it can in the context of whatever the society and the conditions and the relationship, it acts through those and the individuals who are able to get on to that to be able to see that to resonate with that then have this experience of spontaneous awakening or a gradual but continual awakening and so we see we read about some of these uh you know scientists these superstar amazing physicists like albert einstein and david bohm and some of these folks who 
when you look at their, you know, what they write and what they talk about, they are, they are in a spiritual dimension. Uh, Einstein said, there's nothing that I've come up with, none of these principles, none of this um, theory of relativity or anything. I haven't figured that out. It came to me. It came to me when I was relaxed, when I was in a dream, and I imagined this, and then it came. It comes to me. It, come, it unfolds out of itself. And in the same way, um, several of, the, of our you know, superstar physicists have really have this very grounded spiritual aspect because they realize that it's really this God, this ultimate reality that is expressing through and as all of this. And then there are some of these superstar scientists who are uh, agnostic and they say, well, you know, it's all material, it's meat and potatoes and whatever we can touch and taste and see and feel and smell, whatever is available, that's what's real. And when the body's done, life is done. That's it. There is no spirit. So they have, so we have some very bright scientists that have this kind of, you know, alternative viewpoint. That's okay too. But there are enough individuals and there have been enough individuals and enough different disciplines and enough different uh, societies and cultures that have awakened, that have become fully illumined, fully aware of their nature and what's happening. And so that's always available for us, even if we don't have that personal connection. So, um, so this is, uh, you know, our guru. And if we are, if we do uh, find ourselves being attracted to someone as a guru, as a teacher, if we're interested in that relationship, then um, it can be useful for us to be attentive and make sure that uh, that that we understand uh, who it is that we're moving into this relationship with, and that we have a um, a trust that we resonate with them, that we trust them, and that we see that they are um, exemplary, that they are setting a good example, and that they are not, uh, you know condescending and, and egotistical and taking advantage of their disciples and uh, and we and I, I see a lot of this I mean I, I just see so many individuals who are out here kind of creating uh, you know their own reality around their uh, their persona and their ego and so we want to be careful not to get you know not to be led down a, a path that will not be sufficient to do what we need to do to accomplish our purposes. So that's the guru. Uh, and do we ha are there any questions about any of this? And of course, for those of you who knew Mr. Davis and who had this relationship with him, our, this relationship does not end. We have this attunement, this resonance continues whether there's a body around or not. And so we can maintain that attunement, that resonance, uh, that connection, and and feel this presence. I, I mean, I do all the time. There is no, there, there is no time when I don't feel that he's right here. I close my eyes, and it's like he's sitting right over there. I used to sit on the couch here, and he would be in his recliner chair over there, and I just close my eyes, and he's right there. Or he's standing next to me with his hand on my shoulder, looking over my looking over my shoulder at the computer monitor um, to help pick out a picture. 
So this, this is very, you know, this is a very real living conscious presence for me. And with our, through attunement, you know, through our attention and attunement, um, we can maintain that connection that we have had. And in, as I said, if we haven't had that personally, then we can simply um, allow ourselves to be uh, seeing God as the guru, as our teacher, and everything that happens in our life as helping to support and move us in this direction of awakening. Okay. So questions? No? Good. Um, oh, I just wanted to know, would I still call him guru if I didn't really have like like a one-to-one -one relationship with him? Like I mentioned that I met him when I was younger and most of my interaction with him is through his books and tapes and stuff. And my mother had more of a relationship with him. So would, right, I, right. would I call him guru or is he just, you know, Mr. Davis? Well, this is yeah, the, well, the, you know, this is this is not quite. I can't tell you whether or not you can do that. You have to ask. You know, look in your heart and feel like, you know, my mother has been for how many decades? Your mother has been dedicated and a, and a, a wonderful disciple of Mr. Davis. You've lived in that consciousness. You've grown up in that house. You've met him, and so so does this feel like like it's a connection in your heart? See, do you, do you, do you feel that resonance and and maybe, maybe you haven't asked yourself that. So this is not an intellectual thing. Like I'm signing up and I get put on the on the disciple list. This is a connection that happens in the heart. This is a connection that happens in the feeling. And so you have to ask yourself: Is this, you know, do I really feel that level of connection, um, or is or is he a teacher? Is he a, a mentor? And an inspiration, but maybe there's, you know, maybe there's another connection that I haven't come across yet. So you have to ask you. Okay, that's the only way you'll know is just to ask yourself. Okay. Thank you. All right. So let's uh, continue on with our life and go out and dance on the planet a little bit. Be joyful. So till tomorrow. Thank you, Ron. Bye.